Father in heaven, uh, thank you for uh, each and every one of these parents here. Um, this, this is going to be fun to do this in a smaller setting with just a few of them, Lord. And I pray that we, um, yeah, we, we get somewhere that honors and glorifies you and that sets us up well as parents to navigate this difficult topic of dating um, with our children. So uh, help us to do that, Lord. Speak through me. Remove anything uh, that I might say that, that you wouldn't agree with. And we only want your truth in this room right now. Pray all of these things in your name. Amen. And interrupt me as I'm going. I'll try to, you know, going to move quickly, uh, but interrupt me and we'll, we'll try to answer any questions or clarify anything. So um, probably the best story that I've ever heard uh, that I think describes dating in middle school and high school came from a friend of mine in seminary. He got it from uh, a friend of his in college, so it's kind of been passed passed around, and uh, his friend, uh, it, it was the one that it actually happened to, and so my friend Caleb, his buddy, uh, when he was in college one summer, worked at a, a summer camp that it was in a really densely wooded area, and so kind of in the middle of nowhere, and they didn't have trash pickup, and so to solve that problem, they would take their trash bins out in the backyard and would set them on fire to dispose of the trash, probably a pretty typical practice. And so one Saturday, uh, he was working at the camp. So uh, in between weeks, so not many people around. He's getting some chores done. He takes the trash out to the backyard, sets it on fire, goes back inside to get some other things done. What he did not realize, however, was the guy that was sharing the cabin with him had uh, finished, or he had almost finished, a, a bottle of hairspray. And that this bottle of hairspray was in the bottom of the trash can. And so the fire burns all the trash, makes it down to the bottle of hairspray. It hits that, it explodes and leaps out of the trash can and sets the entire backyard on fire. So he comes out into the backyard and the whole backyard's on fire and he's about to set the whole camp on fire because it's moving towards the woods, catches the woods on fire, the whole camp goes up in flames. So uh, the end of that story is that thankfully they, they were able to put the fire out and the, the, the camp didn't burn down. But the analogy, which I think is so good, is that in other contexts, uh, dating is a lot like a bottle of hairspray. It's useful, it has a purpose, it serves its kind of intended means, uh, but in middle school and high school, oftentimes uh, dating is like a bottle of hairspray in the bottle of a trash can that's just been set on fire. It's going to explode and set everything else on fire. Uh, and having worked with students now for a number of years, I can tell you firsthand that I have seen that happen over and over and over again, uh, that a dating relationship explodes and sets everything else on fire. So it's probably the best analogy uh, story that I've ever heard about dating in middle school and high school. And I, I want to ask, what, what can we take away from that? And, and here's the takeaway. Uh, in general, dating probably isn't the best idea for middle or high school students. And now you're hearing me in that statement hedge pretty hard. In general, uh, probably a best idea. I'm hedging pretty hard. And there's two reasons I'm hedging uh, in that statement. The first is that dating is a cultural construct. Uh, we, don't, we don't find our modern construct of dating in the Bible. It's the way that we have, as a culture have decided to navigate into marriage by and large. Uh, and the Bible talks a lot about marriage, talks a lot about friendship, talks a lot about the familial relationships, doesn't really address what we would consider dating to be today. And as a general rule, I try not to make a habit out of making something black or white that the Bible doesn't uh, make black or white. And so I want to hedge really hard here because I'm not pulling this from any text. 
This is from my own personal experience of dating in middle school and high school, and then from working with students for many years. This is the conclusion that I've come to. The second reason uh, that I'm hedging here is that I, I don't know, even with the three Brookside folks, I don't know the ins and outs of your families. And, and I've gotten to know, especially your kids, really well. Um, I've never even met your, your kids yet. So how could I sit here and make a, a hard and fast claim about something that the Bible is, doesn't speak of in black or white terms? And I don't really know your families as well as you know your families. And that was especially true when I had 40 people in the room. Like, that's really uh, slippery ground for me to be on to say, hey, no, you cannot let your son or daughter date. That's to- if you're doing that this morning, you're totally wrong. That'd be crazy for me to do that. you probably just stop listening to me. <laughs> um, so that's why I hedge there. Um, but I do have a roadmap for us. And the first place we're going to go is three reasons why I believe that prior statement is true. So I'll try to convince you softly. Uh, and at the end, if you disagree with me, that's okay. Um, but give you three reasons why I think that statement is true. Then four general parenting well principles that can be applied to dating. They're general because they can be applied to other topics outside of dating. Um, but I th- was trying to think of some of the principles that I discuss with parents often. And I picked four that I think are particularly helpful in this uh, conversation. And then five principles uh, for godly dating at any age. And then we'll close with some discussion. Probably just let you all discuss with one another kind of where you're at with this whole topic since it's such a small crew. But um, that's our roadmap. So uh, the first uh, reason why I think that that above statement is true is the transition from dating uh, from being something people do to something people are. And uh, I even think before I unpack exactly what I mean by that, maybe a quick history of the different ways that we've navigated into marriage in sort of human history, and it's a really quick history, right? But how have we done this prior to dating? So before we dated as the uh, precursor to marriage, how have we as as different societies and cultures done that? Um, And long time ago, for many centuries, it was arranged marriages. Uh, The familial unit, the parents, uh, would work with other parents and would arrange a marriage uh, between two individuals. Love was very often not a factor at all, sometimes a very small factor, love between the two parties that were going to be married. Uh, and way more important were social and financial reasons. You had to marry someone in your class or someone that was the same level as you or someone that was above. Uh, but uh, around the turn of the 19th century, the motive of marrying for love became way more culturally dominant. So uh, we've probably seen uh, movies or read books about that and sort of people, the first people that kind of threw off that uh, cultural construct and married instead for love, uh, which often was a very difficult uh, process for them. Uh, Tim Keller has kind of traced this history in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, and he uh, talks about at that time when we made that shift uh, from an arranged marriage to uh, a love as a, as a higher motive, um, that there was a, a, a cultural construct of calling or courtship that came into effect. And he writes this about courtship. He says, a man was invited to call on a young woman, and they spent their time together on her family's porch or in the parlor. In short, the man was invited in to the woman's home. Remember that. The preposition in is very important there. After the turn of the 20th century, our modern construct of dating emerged, which had some really serious effects on this process of navigating into marriage. Uh, Keller writes this about that transition from the courtship model to the dating model. He says, now the young man did not so much come in, but instead took the woman out 
to places of entertainment to get to know her. As dating spread throughout society and not only individualized the whole process, removing the couple from the family context, but it also changed the focus of romance from friendship and character assessment to spending money, being seen, and having fun. <laughs> I'm not sure we made the best trade there. Uh, so from in to out, that's a very significant uh, transition. And then this is another transition that I've noticed, and some other authors have pointed this out as well, but dating uh, 50, 60, 40, 50, 60 years ago used to be something that we did. You went on dates. That still is a shift from the calling courtship model of sort of being in the home. Now we're out on dates, but that's still an activity. Now, the language that I hear students using, the language I hear young adults and adults using, is dating is something that we are. We are boyfriend and girlfriend. That's a significant, significant shift. It has some serious implications because what I've noticed with students, with young adults, with adults, what I've noticed in myself is whether it's dating, engagement, or marriage, there is a tendency, and I think this is the wrong way to go about it, but there's a tendency to try to achieve my identity in my significant other. And I try to earn my identity that way. And um, so, and it is, like Kate says, it's a, this is an identity question now. If dating is something we are, that's getting at that a question of identity, who am I? And we all ask that question. Our whole lives we wrestle with identity formation. It's not, we don't reach the finish line in that conversation. We wrestle with our identity for our students, for our young people, our, 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 your children, uh, the 6th through 12th graders that we, we get the privilege of working with. The heat is turned way up on that question. They have no idea who they are. They're figuring it out. Uh, and that is developmentally appropriate. And, and it's hard for, I mean, we still have probably you know, day in, day out, struggle with that question of who am I. So then our young people are like, they're just, they're just doing this. I mean, they're just kind of one thing to the other, trying to figure out who they are. And, and so for them to be in a relationship that sort of gets at an identity question, this is part of who I am. I am a boyfriend. I'm a girlfriend. That's some shaky ground for them. So what we've been talking about at, with, at Brookside with our students, we're, we're actually right now in the middle of a series called Identity, and it's all about these topics. So we've talked about dating, we've talked about sex, we've talked about gender, um, because, uh, and it's not just, those aren't the only buckets, right. we've, we've already listed some other buckets. Right, and, and well, in those buckets are some of the most prevalent ones that our culture tries to say are appropriate for your identity. You can answer the question of who am I with these buckets, but what God says is your identity is not achieved, your identity is received from me. Your identity is in me, it's in Jesus, it's in the fact that I created you, and then when you messed up, I died for you. I built you, and I died for you. That's the deepest part of who you are. That's how you should answer the identity question. I am a created son or daughter of the king of the universe. That's a pretty good bucket. <laughs> and that's a received bucket, not an achieved bucket. But this transition uh, is dangerous for our, our it's dangerous for anyone that's dating. It's dangerous for our young people. So that's the first reason 
uh, why I think uh, that my statement, why I've come to believe that statement. Paul, I'm uh, gonna interrupt. Yeah, please do. You said it good. I did, yeah, please. Um, at the expense of sound like a broken record to you, the three things that we know our kids, I, I want my kids, by the time they leave my house, to know the answer to three questions. And had I known the answer to these three questions 20 years earlier, my life would be radically different. I wouldn't want you to <laughs> Um, I'm a creation of God, you know, and I want my kids to know that. They need to know and believe that they are created in His likeness. They are loved by Him. Look it up and look. How's He gifted me? He has created you, son, with specific gifts and talents. It's exciting to be on the journey with you, Ross, to figure out how, there's number three, how He's calling you to use those. Mm -hmm. And so, for us, when it comes to identity and this idea of, you said, we receive our identity, um, we receive our worth from him, and because of him, it's not something that we achieve. Right. And that's that's a radical shift, and I don't know, uh, I haven't heard that before, yeah. and um, I'm so glad to hear you say that, and uh, that my kids have heard that. On the Five weeks in a row. Five weeks in a row. Every time. I said to them, yeah, over and over. It goes against. It goes against. Yeah. You're swimming against the current. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 I mean, who you are, who you are, who are, are you are, yeah. yeah, and I think that that's, and again, it talked when he talked about the five, you know, five people outside of us yeah. that influence your kids, you know, I mean, that's the thing, like, if you can interact with my children and you say that, like, oh, you said that too, it's not just parents. Right, yeah, exactly. That's what my parents say, you know, or that's yeah. what yeah. Pastor Joe well, the key is, I want them to be able to answer that question for themselves. Because they do hear that over and over from their parents. Right. But when you leave the home, mommy and daddy aren't there anymore. And so then you spend the next 20 years of your life swimming with the current, thinking, okay, I'm going to achieve fun. So you you finally figure out, whoa, you know, if you can answer these, if you can answer these three questions, I've done my job. That's, that's really, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and, and what we all know too here, and this is the second reason, is that the dating relationship, that the modern dating relationship requires a lot of maturity. And so that would be the second reason why I would have come to believe that statement is these are tricky, tricky relationships that, that exist in our cultural construct of dating. And I recently reread, this is where I pulled those quotes from Tim Keller, uh, In the Meaning of Marriage, which is the hands down best book I think written on marriage out there today. He has a whole section on dating and as I reread that this week in preparation for this talk over and over again I was reminded of the complexity involved with dating uh, especially when we're trying to do that in a way that honors God and the potential landmines that are there. Just the many many ways that it can go wrong. It's like man this is my takeaway. There's a lot of maturity required and I'm just I'm not sure that the average 6th or 12th grader has the maturity necessary uh, to navigate that. So the pushback that I hear, though, from students a lot on this is, but my second cousin's math teacher met his wife in high middle school, yes. and they have an awesome marriage. Yes. I'm sure that will be me. My girlfriend and I are different. And the reason that I recognize that pushback so quickly is that when I was in middle school and high school, I was the kid who was saying that. Oh, yeah. I had a number of examples of people that I knew had met in high school or middle school and had successful marriages, and I believed that that was going to be me with my high school girlfriend, Jackie. 
Uh, I am not married to Jackie. <laughs> Dottie's laughing because she knows my wife's name is Ashley, not Jackie. So that was not me. And so the question that I challenge students with, uh, and I say it two different ways, I say, are, are you mature enough to recognize your immaturity? And are you mature enough to admit that you're probably the rule, not the exception? Because even though we probably all know people who have married their high school or middle school sweetheart, that's the exception, not the rule. And if all of our students or sons or daughters are running around thinking that they're the rule, I mean, thinking that they're the exception, not the rule, then that's a problem. Um, And so uh, there's a lot of maturity required. And so I just think in general, it's probably best for them to avoid a dating relationship. Um, And this is this third point is really a summary of the previous two that at its best dating prepares us for marriage. And Kellen on Wednesday with our Brookside students, he was uh, a gentleman I invited to speak on the topic of dating. He is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Director for Johnson County and he attends our our campus and so he knows the students and uh, he just got engaged and he's been dating his uh, now fiance for a couple years and he asked them this question he said are you in the season of life where you are ready to marry someone and he didn't have to answer that because hopefully all of our 6th through 12th graders there on Wednesday could, could do that critical thinking to say probably not you know I'm not ready I, you know, I have school five days a week and I don't have a job to support my family and, uh, so the, kind of the answer to that question is um no right so then and again just trying to push them to critically think about these relationships a bit so I think what happens yeah. is that kids will push back on that because did you have a boyfriend in middle school yeah. like you know so then you know, right, and so what I say, uh, and this is what I said on Wednesday, because I, right, so I, I dated in middle school and high school pretty extensively, way more than I'm proud to admit, starting from seventh grade on, and prior to seventh grade, because this is sort of the thing, and I almost took us this direction, because even if they're not in a dating relationship, chances are they're kind of obsessed with the who likes who question, which is just a subset of the dating, because it's like, that's where they're finding their identity, and the fact that somebody likes them back, or has a crush on them, or has feelings for them. So I actually am way more interested in that, because that's just a bankrupt game that is, it's infatuation, and there's not anything really substantive there, but that's like so kind of like, I don't even know how to begin to get at that. It's like, okay, let's talk about dating instead. But what I say, and this is what I said on Wednesday after Kellen got done, Kellen prayed and I stood up there and he actually had eight principles for godly dating, which were great. And I have a few of them at the end for us to go through. And I said, hey, look at these eight things. Uh, When I was in middle school and high school, I broke every single one of those. And I am way worse off for it today. I mean, God redeems, God brings everything back. He makes everything new again. But I can tell you, that this was bad. So, I, I mean, I don't know if that solves it when you yeah. get that pushback, but I said, yes, I did, and I wish I hadn't, and I want that for you. You know, and I'm, so hopefully they're getting that not just from parents either, but like from other people saying, and that's, so I had Kellen, who by and large did a great job dating, didn't really have a girlfriend until college, kind of did this thing the right way. Addie is such a godly woman. It's like, yes, like this is awesome. So Kellen like kind of gives the presentation and then I stand up and I'm like, I didn't do it this way. And you should, you know, like I'm the warning, right? Right, right, right. Kind of the, but real quick at the end, like, hey, I know you guys, hopefully you love and respect me. I love and respect you. You can hear it from both angles here. Because with Kellen, it's like, oh, sure, Kellen, he's great, you know? And it's like, yeah, it it's like, yeah, hey, like I did, I broke these and I, you know, so I don't know. 
Right, right. God redeems, God brings back. But what's best for your life right now is to follow what Kellen's talking about for David. So uh, I know that is the pushback, though. I do hear that. So uh, let's move the general principles of parenting uh, and then think through the lens of dating here. So kindly insert yourself into the process. Um, So parents at a previous youth group I served at, uh, they sent their daughter and her boyfriend to my dating talk after she hadn't been at youth group in over a year. The boyfriend had never been. In talking with the boyfriend, the boyfriend had never set foot in a church. And it was at middle schoolers. And with middle schoolers, I'm, I'm even a little bit stronger on the, hey, you should build friendships right now. I still say that to the high schoolers. I'm a little bit... With high schoolers, they're probably dating anyway. I want to equip them. I don't want to leave them out on an island, right? With middle schoolers, I'm pretty strong on the, hey, this isn't what's best for you right now. So the first time this young man sets foot in a church, he's hearing the pastor say, who you are, because it's an identity thing for him, I'm not a fan of it, really. I think that's just not set up for success. But this, and I, I followed back with the parent there and just like, hey, that's not what we're aiming for here. And it's pretty clear that they, the parents had no idea what to do and was like, okay, hopefully the youth pastors and youth group can fix this. And we can't. I mean, we can't. We want to be part of the solution, but we can't uh, fix it totally. So you as parents have to insert yourself into the process. You have to be in the picture in your son or daughter's dating relationship. Uh, and you could do that in, in appropriate ways. You know, don't be a helicopter parent. But you can't stick your head in the sand on this one and just hope that it works out. You have to be actively involved. Um, and when you do insert yourself there, uh, try not to do it in an authoritarian way. Like, hey, I'm the mom and dad. This is happening. You're going to let me read your text messages. You're mostly going to hang out at the home where when I'm here. Uh, you know, you're going to hang out in groups that I'm comfortable with. I'm going to drop you off there. I mean, that's kind of more of, but if you, you have to try to earn your way into that if you can. Um, there may be times where it has to be so mortive, I'm laying down the law on this because I know what's best for you. Uh, but try to earn yourself, earn your way into that as you're inserting yourself into the, the process. Uh, kindly do that as, as much as you can. Second, be proactive, not reactive. I was having lunch with parents of seventh grade girl. This is several years ago, not here at Christ Community. And the, the sentence came out of the dad's mouth. Uh, she just woke up one day and wanted to date boys. No. <laughs> no, she just told you about it that day. It was happening, that desire for her was happening way, 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 way before she told you uh, that that happened. But So we can't be naive here, right? We have to uh, enter into this conversation earlier than you think you need to. Um, so be proactive, be on the front end of this. Um, and while you're doing that, um, what you can do uh, proactively along the way, and this is you know, what you heard if you were over in Joey, you can be encouraging them to have build friendships and build healthy friendships and be modeling what that looks like and be trying to create spaces and environments where they are learning how to interact with the opposite sex um, in a way that's healthy and, and honors God. And that's a proactive action step that you can take in addition to talking about this sooner than you think you need to so it doesn't sneak up on you. Totally snuck up on my parents. I got an email from Katie Shaw when I was in seventh grade on AOL Instant Messenger. We had the dial-up, da 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 Log on. You've got mail. Katie Shaw asking me to be uh, her boyfriend. Walk upstairs to my parents. We had never talked about dating. Said, hey, Katie Shaw wants me to be her boyfriend. What do you think about that? Totally caught them off guard, right? I'm sure they kind of felt like Paul woke up one day and wanted to date girls, right? girl asking you? Yeah, well, Katie is, you know. That's a little bit of Katie. Yeah, Katie. Great, but um, very forward, right? So, uh, you know, and my parents are wonderful, wonderful, but they this caught them off guard. 
they were they were had to be reactive in that moment and that doesn't they had no idea i just remember my parents like looking at each other like what the heck do we do now you know i don't know what we tell them so uh yeah so talk about it before you think you need to and make talking about it normal uh make it a normal thing so here's a big 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 takeaway if they tell you something that they disclose to you and it freaks you out for whatever reason and you're freaking out on the inside, keep it right there. You've got to be stone cold Steve Austin in that moment with the, when they disclose that to you. Now, if you need to go to your bedroom later and scream yeah. into your pillow and do that there, but it does, you have to be just, and I try to do this so hard. I might have students tell me a lot of stuff and I'm like, whoa, like red flag sirens going off. But it's like in that moment, that needs to be a normal thing. Calm and normal, right? So don't freak out even if you're doing it on the inside. Uh, And then as you enter into this conversation, make it regular too. Because if it's just a once every other year type of conversation, then it feels like it's this really big, overwhelming topic. You want to kind of come at it more in small doses. Um, And my parents were proactive in discussing some things with me around uh, sex and dating and lust and pornography. But often they handled that in like a weekend away with my dad. It's like, that's great. There's a place for that. But then it made it this sort of huge deal. Like, oh my goodness, there's a whole weekend for the express purpose of having these conversations. And it wasn't part of our regular sort of rhythm of just checking in. Hey, how's that going? Or, you know, just make it, make it regular. And that's part of uh, making it normal as well. And finally here, uh, enlist help. Enlist help. While you have to be part of the process, you can't go it alone. Uh, So Chris mentioned this in his intro, that the sticky faith five-to-one principle of uh, five adults that are also pouring in, speaking in, knowing your your kids, this absolutely applies to this topic. So some ideas for help here are us as youth pastors. We want to help if we can. We want to be one of those people that are speaking in. Uh, Your son or daughter is a small group leader. Um, They're in a small group uh, at the youth group that they go to. How can they be helping and speaking in? Other parents that you know and trust. Um, as you get to know other parents in the youth group, is there anyone there uh, that would be able to speak into the lives of your son or daughter? I'm thinking like Erin Davig. She'd love to speak in, and she's got Gordy, who's older, and you, you guys got Victoria and Eleanor. I mean, it's like, you know what I'm getting at here. Other parents that you know and trust that are coming at this, is there ways in which they can speak in uh, and help? And family members. You have, you know, their aunts and uncles that have a you know, Christian worldview that can come at this, that can help. Uh, and as I went down this list, for myself, realizing, man, my parents were doing that, and I didn't even realize it. They were asking people to speak in and help me and answer questions and be an outlet, my youth pastors. I remember a conversation with my uncle and my cousin about dating, um, other parents, you know, friends of you know, my, my friends' fathers and things like that. Uh, so enlist help uh, in this. Enlist and interrupt. Yeah, do it. Okay, uh, so uh, three out of four of those... Um, one thing that's helped me so much and I think is also very easy to practice with our kids is a three-word phrase. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And that puts me in a posture of I'm inquisitive. I want to hear from you. Tell me more. Tell me more about that. Tell me more. You know, I'm constantly tell me more about that. And then you know that and that helps that helps me sometimes fight that urge of like ah you know red flags are running all over and I can just immediately go to tell me more about that and I tell me and more I, so I can sit and think about that 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. 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 Uh, with a few words to get him to tell me more tell because me more he's a boy, you yeah, know, yeah, and he yeah, just, uh, 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 how's it going? Uh, you know, it's just like, Ross is hard to get to talk. We watched a great movie last night. Yeah. Oh, so what'd you learn? Uh, you know, it's just like, okay, you know? Yeah. But anyway. That's good, yeah, and just while we're on that, this prompted a thought for me, so, and I think this works for parents too, but I am always aiming, because I have that sixth grade boy, right, Ross in there, of course he's, <laughs> He's, uh, you know, he's not going to necessarily give you a ton there. But when I'm, and this is more of like a general um, principle for working with students and how to get them to talk to you. But if you get them talking, they'll lean into the stuff you want to get to, including dating. So I'm always aiming to have a safe conversation uh, with students, a safe conversation. So typically out of the five of these things, which I'll tell you what they are in a moment, I can, I can land on one of them that they want to talk about and that they'll answer something or they'll give me something and they'll tell me more. So school, activities, family, uh, entertainment, and one more E. No, friends, family. That's two Fs. It's two Fs, sorry. Uh, family, friends, and entertainment. School, activity, friends, family, and entertainment. And out of the five of those, chances are I can find some. I might have to like go around a little bit. Okay, you don't want to talk about your family. You want to talk about school. Oh, you want to talk about activities. Tell me more about that. And then we're in a conversation. I've entered their world. And as a parent, I think this would be useful as you're just aiming to make conversation normal. Uh, with your son or daughter, and then you're going to get to those places where you can discuss some of the, the more difficult things like dating and, and sex. So, um, but I do want to keep us moving here as Alan looks at me and judges me. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, let's get to these though. Uh, five principles for godly dating at any age. And the reason I've got that any age qualifier on there is that as a parent, uh, you don't move out of being an important influencer in the life of your son or daughter regarding this topic when they leave your home or when they turn 18. Uh, I mean, my parents, so my younger sister, Annie, is not married yet. I I believe and I think they're doing a good job of still being a a primary influencer in her life. She's 23. She hasn't really dated much, but that they're still a primary voice and help in this area. So whether your kids are 12, 15, 25, or 35, these are things, these are principles that you can be encouraging them to go after uh, so that they date in a godly manner. So you don't sort of move out of that relationship when they leave the home. yeah, so number one, don't wear rose-colored glasses about dating or marriage. So encouraging your son or daughter to really know that dating is hard. Marriage is hard. We all know that marriage can be really hard, right? And dating is tricky, and there's a lot of complexities and landmines. And I think, and I remember having rose-colored glasses about how great it was going to be to have a girlfriend. I idealized it. And it became this perfect sort of thing that was just, it was everything I wanted, right? And it's just not that way. It's broken, it's hard, it's messy. You're in this relationship with someone else that's broken and hard and messy. Uh, and so we can help our, our children, our kids, not idealize marriage or, and dating and don't idolize it either. Don't make it an idol. 
and making an idol. And that's the biggest problem I see out of the who likes who game, is that becomes a really big idol. If what we mean by idol is the most important thing in their lives, I mean, I think whether or not students would admit that, that's what I observe, is that that is sort of what dominates for them, is who likes who. Um, yeah. Who asked who to what dance? So don't wear rose-colored glasses. Remember that dating, and especially marriage, is actually way more about commitment than it is about compatibility. Compatibility is so important. So important. But there has never been a less compatible relationship than a holy God and his sinful bride. <laughs> and that's the mold we're aiming for as we date to prepare for marriage. Um, and so and compatibility is very important, but it's about commitment. And the search for a spouse while dating isn't a pursuit of perfection, but a mutually flawed pursuit of Jesus. And that's really, really, really hard work. Uh, and so because it's about, marriage ultimately is about commitment, you know, in dating, we're not bound by a covenant to that other person. And Keller is phenomenal on that topic. He talks about that really, really wisely. Uh, we, in dating relationships, should focus more on clarity than intimacy. Because the greatest danger in dating is giving parts of our hearts and lives away to someone to whom we end up not being married to. And from personal experience, I did that. And I wish I hadn't. It's hard conversations that I had to have with, with Ashley when we was clear that we were going to get married. Um, and so in dating then, the focus should be more on clarity. Is this person someone I could marry? And then upon intimacy, getting as close to them as possible. The great prize in a God-honoring Christian marriage is Christ-centered intimacy. That's the great prize in marriage. I hope we would all agree with that. I hope we would all feel that in our marriages. The great prize in dating is Christ-centered clarity. Is this person someone that I should spend the rest of my life with and form a covenant relationship with? So because of that, because dating should be more about clarity than intimacy, then boundaries make the best of friends. Boundaries make the best of friends. Physical boundaries, emotional boundaries, spiritual boundaries. It's a very intimate thing to pray with someone, isn't it? Uh, so we need boundaries in these areas and more. They become the best of friends. And, and our culture tries to have it both ways with boundaries. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, on the one hand, you have songs like Let It Go in Frozen, Disney, where Elsa is singing about how the boundaries are bad and they restrict her. And she has to let them go so she can be who she truly is. And that's kind of the dominant message about boundaries or sort of outside structures that would say, no, you need to be this or you can't be that. Um, but on the other hand, how quickly do you think DCFS would be called if I just let my son, who's one, play in the street? He loves cars. He wants to, I mean, he loves cars. He would get, he would crawl into the street to be as close to those cars as he could. But that, there's, we know intuitively that boundaries in some places are a good thing. But yet, on the other hand, our culture is trying to say, actually, no, boundaries are really bad. And, and especially in the areas that we're talking about today, sex dating, uh, our culture tries to say, oh no, those are private matters. So there can be no boundaries. There's the only boundary right now in our culture is do no harm. Right? That's kind of, you, you can do no harm. And even that, right? But, and and that's, that's a slippery slope, but that seems to be the one that most people agree upon is, well, if two consenting adults agree to it and it doesn't harm anyone else, but this buys into the lie that the Wendell Berry quote was addressing earlier, that sex is private. It's not. It's personal, but it does affect whole structures in our societies 
And the other problem with that is the predominant uh, boundary, do no harm, is whose definition of harm? Who gets to define that? And that's a slippery slope too. So uh, we have to recapture the goodness of boundaries in, in dating. And particularly our students are going to struggle with that. Because they're going to feel like, well, you're, you're treating me like I'm a kid. Or like, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm 17. You know, I should be, I, we can handle this. We're young adults, right? And, and so this is probably the area most, I would say, specifically applied to dating, where as a parent, it's appropriate for you to insert yourself into that process and help them figure out what good boundaries are, physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually. Help them navigate that as, uh, as students. So uh, number four, uh, find a fiancé on the front lines. So the idea here is to look for love in the right places. Remember that song, 1980, uh, Johnny Love, Urban Cowboy is the album, looking for love in the wrong places. But we want our, our sons and daughters to look for love in the right places. Uh, instead of making it your mission, this is what we can say to our kids, instead of making it your mission to get married, make your mission God's global cause and the advancement of the gospel where you are and then look for someone else who's pursuing that same thing. You're finding a fiancé, and that's just cute language, right? Two Fs. Finding a fiancé on the front lines. If you're hoping to marry someone who passionately loves Jesus and makes him known, it's probably best to put yourself in a community of people who are committed to that as well. Which leads to our final principle that what we should say to our kids about dating, and we encourage them no matter what age, is you should consistently include your community in your dating relationship. And this is something we've really lost moving from courtship and calling to dating is that now instead of the young man coming in, the young man takes the young woman out. And I'm not advocating a change back to courting. Um, Some people do that. I'm not making that argument. I think we just need to be aware of what the pitfalls are in our construct of dating. Um, And this is something we've lost is that we haven't as easily and readily included our community in our dating relationships. And this, if you notice, fits really well with you as a parent inserting yourself into the process and you enlisting help. So it's kind of, I'm saying to the students on Wednesday, hey, consistently include your community. And by the way, that includes your parents. Your parents should be a part of your dating relationship in terms of uh, speaking into it and being a part of it and getting to know the the young man or young woman at whatever age that happens. And hey, parents, uh, you should be including your son or daughter. You should be inserting yourself into the process and listing help. And there's a mutuality that happens so that our young people are not out on an island when they are doing this. And so... uh, at least at Brookside, we're, we're encouraging our students to consistently include their community in their dating relationships. I ignored this one, especially uh, when I was dating Jackie in high school. My, my parents, they, they spoke in in really appropriate and sensitive ways and, and raised some red flags, uh, not just about Jackie, but about, mainly about me <laughs> uh, and about our relationship, and I ignored them. Uh, and even more than that, I, my best friend, who was my peer, same age, same grade, he raised some red flags about us and our dating relationship, and I ignored him. And so I was not, uh, was not consistently including my community, in that, and there was a lot of harm done for both me and Jackie in that. So um, these are the five specific principles that I've got. There's a ton more, but these were the five that I, I chose to go through. And I really did want to have a discussion, but I have people in the window going like this. Uh, I have so a question. Did I you, do, yeah. Did you have the right framework? Like, had you been taught the model? 
at that age when yeah. you started dating? I don't think I had as ex- as explicitly okay. as what we're as what I was sense. aiming to do like you would have this had week. Yeah, right, 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 right. Like I'm right. not doing the right thing. I've been taught better. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But if you were oblivious to that yeah. and you just had other people telling That's you right. you're different, you're like. Why? Yeah. Or, you know and for me, honestly, the biggest thing was that I really thought that I was the exception. <laughs> I thought I was that mature and that great, and I don't know how we solved that for our kids, um, but that was the big thing. The yeah. Model. yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that's what we have to strive yeah. for is the biblical model. Yeah. Show them God's way. Yep. Right? Yep. Rather than. Yep. Well, I'm sorry that I took up all our discussion time.